in the way that he do everything to, to, to protect him. I mean, it's amazing. I know that, that God is God and he can do that, but it, it's amazing how he takes care of the things that sometimes we, some people could die in that way, even Christians. But because he has a plan with him, with the way that he put in, with, with, in grace, with the government mm -hmm. in place, mm -hmm. so he, he can preserve his life for right. his purpose, so it's amazing. That's awesome. It's it is incredible, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't cut it off here, because I want us to see, you know, we can, you know, a lot of times when, when you read in the book of Acts, there's there's a point where it kind of, in one sense, it slows down, you know, because it's kind of, you know, we're looking at Paul in these chapters, but if you can just sit down like you did, which is awesome, and really meditate on what, what, what do you see there, you know, and that, that's what this is about, is really being able to get out of the scriptures, why did God... Why did God, God never waste time, so you can't say waste time, but why did God utilize the time? Why didn't he just tell Luke, hey, you know what, just finish on chapter 18, you know, you don't got to keep going to the next, you know, 10 chapters. But there's a reason, and it's to give us an encouragement, you know, to see how important it is for us to really be connected to the purpose of God, because that, if, the, if there's anything that we see, is how important it is for us to be connected to God's purpose. And why is that so important? It's important because God's purpose is in God's hands, and God is going to make sure that His purpose is accomplished. He is going to make sure that His will is fulfilled. And so, if you're ever, you know, in a situation that you're, you know, doubting or anything of that nature, you need to ask yourself one question: Am I certain that I am in the will of God, because no matter how difficult it is, no matter how tough it is, God's will is going to be fulfilled. And so that's one of the greatest things that I see in these chapters, you know, in these later chapters with the Apostle Paul and some awesome things that we see how, you know, the book of Proverbs, where it talks about the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord and the Lord leads the heart of the king, you know, and, and, and the way that he wants. I mean, you see this so clearly happening and it's like, and, and, and it's, and it's really being able to put, you know, eyes on this and say, wow, man, this is, this is awesome. And so, so it's it's a powerful thing to see the way that God works in the Apostle Paul here. So that's the first one. Go ahead, my brother. How, um, we know that, that Paul had a lot of faith, but it's amazing how when he's about to, something horrible is about to happen to him, God comes to him, talk to him, and encourage him. I said, remember, I told you you would suffer greatly for my name because of what he had done. Right. Persecuted Christian, persecuted Christ. And uh, when he's at the end of his rope, here comes God, lifting him up. Go to the next episode. Right. And time after time after time again, he's, you know, it's just about, you know, the end of his life. And here comes God, lifting him up again. Right. And, and lifting up his faith. Because Paul doesn't show any drifting throughout, right. the, throughout the whole book. He doesn't show any drifting, none whatsoever, of lacking faith. Right. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. That he never looked to the side, neither to the back. He just kept forward. Right. Um, is, is it him that said, yeah, it is him who said that for him to live is to die? Mm -hmm. Right? That say so? To live is Christ yeah. and to die is gain. Right. Mm -hmm. That sounds beautiful, Spanish. <laughs> Ooh, that's beautiful. I mean, like, it's Cristo y morir es ganancia. Para mí, la chapter, yeah. Yeah. Oh, say, no chapter, <laughs> say, Para mí, el vivir es morir. No. Vivir es Cristo y morir es ganancia. Uh. He saved this life more than once, you know what I mean? Huh? 
has been a few times, so it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. But I was reading here when he, I guess he was upset when he called them a, a whitewash, whitewash wall. Mm -hmm. What did he mean? Was he telling him off? What was going on? Because apparently it right. was, you know, they got upset. Right. So what was all that about? I mean, what did that mean when he said that? It's a, a whitewashed wall is a major insult. And in and, and small, and you know, in simple terms, it's simply saying you hypocrite. But to give you a scripture that will go with it, in the book of Matthew, you remember Jesus is saying, you know, woe to you Pharisees. And he talks to them about how they would wash their their um, their sepulchres or their their graves. They would clean them on the out. You know, you have these graves that are white on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. And he's saying, "Look, you clean everything on the outside. You make it look good, but it's dead on the inside. It's a, it's a show." And that's what he was saying. So when he when he was communicating that to him, he was saying, "Man, you're a doggone hypocrite, and, and man." He said, and he said that because of what he said to him, that the man that was standing next to him to hit him in his mouth. Of the way he was speaking, so right. apparently, it's, I'm understanding that Paul did not know he was a high priest because of what he how he yeah, was he speaking. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Paul. Paul. And, and yeah. Paul clearly didn't know. He didn't. He didn't know that he was a high priest. He didn't know. He says, "I didn't. Know, I didn't realize he was a high priest." Because and there's a lot of different reasons. No. Well, what he's saying was the re, the reason why he's calling him a hypocrite is because it was unlawful for him to be hit for no reason right. because he hadn't said anything wrong. He hadn't done, he hadn't done anything to blaspheme. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at verse 23, where you're talking about, he says here, and it says, Paul said this, man and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. So he, what did he say wrong? Paul hadn't said anything wrong. He was simply beginning his defense of himself. That's all he was doing. He was starting his defense because that's what this, this was about. You know, in these, in these scenarios, in this setting, he, you know, the Sanhedrin comes together and all of the elders and the high priest and all, all, all of these people are there that are these religious leaders and they were responsible to interpret the law. They were responsible to deal with the different debates. It's like 70 or 71 of them that were there and they would get together and then you came and, and the reason why the, you know, the governor had them come together was because he didn't know what was going on. You know, he didn't know why there, there was, there was this issue um, with them. So, you know, he comes together and what's supposed to happen is he's supposed to be able to give his defense and then be questioned. And instead of that happening, what he does is he breaks the law, right? To prove his holiness is what it is, what it is. Cause that's what he's trying to do. The, 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 um, the high priest is there and what is he, and, and what he's doing is, is he's saying, he, he's saying, shut him up because you know, he's unholy. And so Paul's like, you whitewashed wall. You're a hippie. You're acting holy over there. You're sitting there to judge me and you're breaking the law right now. So that's what it was. It was because it was, I mean, that was a great insult to slap someone in the face. I mean, you know, it is today, even more so then, you know, and it was basically just to tell him to shut up. And Paul was saying, that's what, that's why he was calling him a whitewashed wall. He was saying, man, you are a hypocrite and a half. Because you're sitting here telling him to slap me unlawfully and you're sitting there to judge me, you know, and so that that's what it is. And so there's there's a 
there's that communication. And then when he's saying that, when they say to him, you know, well, how do you talk to the Lord's high priest like this? And Paul is say, says to them, oh, I didn't know it was the high priest. And so there's two ways you can interpret that. You can take it as number one, and, and this is what most of, you know, most of the people believe, um, you know, what, what it seems like is either the high priest, because it was an emergency meeting that was called, maybe he wasn't wearing the proper attire, wasn't sitting in the seat that he was supposed to be sitting in. So that could have been, you know, what Paul was saying. Or the other, you know, more of a metaphoric interpretation is how can you be the high priest, you know, breaking the law like that, you know, yeah. so it's, I mean, you know, you can, you can go either way on it, but it was just, it, it was a major, major insult because Paul had simply said one thing and we'll talk about it in a moment. Why, right. why the high priest was so offended, right. um, you know, and why well, he said, it said here, that slap. It says here, brother, he was the high priest for it was written, you shall not speak evil or rule of a ruler. I'm thinking that because of what he, how he spoke. He just said this guy can't be right. No, absolutely, because I mean that, that that's one of the things is that is that that is that is the thought, which is how could you be the high priest? You know, I mean you a high, you know the high priest, holy man, wouldn't have me slap right. for, for no reason. So I he's think, he's. I, I think I believe what you said first. I, okay. I think he was out of order as far as his gowns and stuff. Yeah. He. That, I think that's the perfect absolutely. scenario. He was caught in a moment of. Speedy stuff. That, okay, we got to do this. We got to do it now. Forget about your right. tunic and whatever. Right. We got to go there now because in verse five he is saying that right, right there he did not know. Right. Have he gotten dressed and be there? Paul would still acknowledge him because right. he was pulled, he was put in a place of order. Absolutely. Oh, I, 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 I 110% agree that I think that it was the clothing. I think that it was clothing, wrong positioning. I mean, just on a natural level. But I think, but, but, but I think that there is also an inference there of saying, okay, if you weren't wearing the clothes, if you weren't sitting in the seat, you would have most definitely not acted like that. You see what I'm saying? So I think that all three of them play into it. You know, you weren't, he probably wasn't sitting in the right place or whatever. Maybe he didn't have the clothing on, but he definitely, you know, because think about it. I mean, look, look at it in our terms. You know, I'm Bishop. I'm Bishop, whether I got a doggone, you oh, know, suit on and, you know, and, and if I'm not standing on the pulpit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if I'm, if I'm sitting out here somewhere, I, you know, I'm not going to do something that's unlawful, you know, just because I'm not in a position. So, so both of them, you know, both, both of them, both of them would really, you know, play, play into the whole scenario, um, you know, where there was nothing that made him seem like a holy man of God, you know, it was just a, you know, a bad situation. It's like a judge, a judge is putting his story when he's at the death. Right. I think right. outside okay. of that, he's not in this. Uh, right. Uh, what do they call that? The gown? His gown. His yeah. gown? But I the think judge, he knew judges. the case yeah. that he called a hypocrite. Oh, bro. When bro. he said this, the, you know, mm -hmm. sepulchre, he called him a hypocrite. So he knew. So it was something a matter of, of the heart. Not how he was dressed so much, mm -hmm. but it was the condition of his heart. Yeah. He was telling, you know, you're putting all these symbols and, you, and you're accusing me of something that's wrong at the same time. Right. It was behavior. I mean, it, it was definitely behavior. Definitely behavior. God spoke to him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, all that having been said. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, you know, if, if we go with, you know, Pastor Louis' interpretation. Mm -hmm. And this is the one thing that I'm, I'm clear about, unclear about. Is Paul apologizing when, you know, he realizes that there are Sadducees and Pharisees? Is he making that observation and saying what he says with the intent to divide the crowd purposely? Or is he really contrite about offending this guy? 
All right. Let, let's, let's go to verse and points. Okay. Verse so five, we're five. talking about verse 5. Well, and, and six. Verse 6 is when he says, but right, when Paul perceived. Some members right. of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. And he goes, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And at that point, because, you know, some of the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they believe the different things. Mm -hmm. So at that point, now the crowd is totally divided. There's chaos. Paul basically could be sitting there going, right now, you know, it's just going to go, you know. So is he doing that on purpose? Or is he really contrite when he says, look, guys, I didn't mean no offense. You know, right. I'm a Pharisee. This is how it is. Because, I mean, it can play either way based on the, the interpretations we had here. Right. 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 You know what? And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say, I, I say this. The, fir the first thing that we, that we see, and th this is good because Paul it says that Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part and the other Pharisees. So it gives us to understand that there was some confusion that was there. This wasn't a normal. Remember, this was you know the you know the the um you know the the the, the governor who called these people to this meeting. Okay, it wasn't their normal meeting. All right, so obviously people weren't in position. It wasn't like it was you know like it like it would have normally been. So it wasn't. It was formal, but it was you know impromptu. You know what I'm saying? Um, so having that you know ha having said that. I think that there, in the natural, there has to be, because Paul wouldn't just flat out lie and say, oh, I didn't know you were the high priest. Paul ain't going to do that, okay? Paul would not be, you know, deceitful and be like, oh, I didn't know when he knew. He's not going to say that. So I, I think that he didn't know, you know, for whatever, the, he just wasn't, you know, wasn't totally sure on what the whole deal was. Now, to answer your question, I think that it was genuine, you know, genuine honor, you know, I don't think that I don't think that Paul regretted saying anything that he said, not in any way, shape or form, because he was speaking the absolute truth. And the fact that this guy was the high priest made it even more um, solidified that a high priest should not, you know, abuse his authority like that. You know, so I don't think Paul regretted what he said. I think that Paul, if he regretted anything, it would have been that he disrespected the person in authority. He wouldn't have done that regardless. He would have just stood shut and that would have been it. From Exodus 20 right. 28, backing it up, like you say, you know, the Bible said this if he would have known, he right. would use the Bible's right. right. So he didn't know. So there was genuine contrition about that. There was a genuine repentance in his heart that he didn't mean to disrespect that leader. Now, the next question comes into, you know, his whole thing. Was he, you know, now this is what Paul knew, okay? This is what Paul knew for sure is that I said one sentence, I got slapped in the face for that. And now I'm going to be on trial in front of this hostile crowd. So I need to get out of here right. as quickly as possible. And the way that I'm going to do this is check this out. This is what I'm on trial for. I am on trial for the for my hope in the resurrection. So, you know, his he, he wasn't being devious. He was right. saying this because he wasn't lying. In reality, that is what he was on trial for. He Because what is he doing? He's preaching about the resurrected Christ. He's preaching about Jesus being resurrected. And so what he's like, you know what? The only way I'm going to get out of this place is if I can turn one group against the other and the way that I'll do that is real simple I will communicate the the you know one of the greatest arguments that we have had throughout the centuries and it is this one here it is that we believe we Pharisees because you notice I'm a Pharisee yeah. you know we Pharisees we we believe in this resurrection you know and so I'm going to communicate that because that's the only that is the only way and in all sincerity you see this as when Jesus says I send you out as sheep among wolves be as wise as serpents and as 
as harmless as doves. That is a prime example of being as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Because what he did was he used the wisdom that God had given him, the knowledge that he had from his experiences. And he said, look, this, this is going to be my ticket out of here because they're not going to be able to agree on this. Because they're, they're they, what happens is now the argument goes from Paul to their debate. And so the, right. the situation changes. So there was genuine, yeah, he was, he was contrite about the disrespect. Everybody against him now is half of right. favor mm -hmm. and half mm -hmm. And they, and and really and, and and really it's it's them against each other because they're they're gonna fight you know they're gonna fight they're gonna argue for me you know so he's you know he's like all right you know I'm good so let's see what happens here right exactly and so it's it it, it was it, it was just it, it was really just just the wisdom of God you know in that situation but yeah and I mean because. I, like I said, I, I wanted it to mean that. Like I wanted, because mm -hmm. I know that you know Paul's not gonna you know walk into something not having a plan, so to speak. Right. But I, I love in, in eleven where see for me, like you know, we talked about you know whether he lied or not. But in verse eleven, it's obvious that that God was pleased because He tells him you know to be encouraged, and He tells him that just as He told the people here in Jerusalem that you must preach. You must preach the, um, the good news to, in Rome. That's telling him, I'm going to get you out of this. Mm -hmm. Because if God is telling you, mm -hmm. don't worry about this because I need you to go preach in Rome. You he still it. hasn't even gone on trial yet. Right. And God is telling him, don't worry, I need you to go to this other place. So it, it just, well, that's what I got. I just, yeah. I was encouraged by that because it just, and so the vow God that is just showing you made. something before you even <laughs> out of it yet. So it just shows The vow that, that these guys made there, that man. they shall never eat or drink. They get they get to kill them. Right. So I mean, what happens to them? I mean, is that just they failed? Just a, 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 <laughs> well, they obviously broke the vow because they ain't gonna stay starving yeah. for you know. <laughs> I thought by law they would just be dead. Or no, 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 no. Because it, it, what 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 they what they're doing is they're doing. If you remember in the in, in the first Samuel when Israel was when King, when Saul was the king of Israel. He was, they, they were fighting against the Philistines, and he decided to bring the people under an oath like this. And he said that nobody was going to eat anything until he had avenged his enemies and everything like that. Um, and so that, that, that's the similar situation, you know, it's just really because what, what you're doing is, you know, it's a, it's a sign of, of fasting, you know, I mean, if fasting is, you know, that repentant and brokenness, and it's a real devotion to seeing this thing done, and really what you're doing is, you know, you're just trying to prove that you're really serious about it, so remember, and these guys that, you know, they also feel like, just like Paul did, you know, that God was on their side, you know, God was with them, so I'm going to make this vow to God, I'm not eating, you know, it's like, it's like a, a righteous, you know, vow, you know, I'm not going to eat until, you know, I see the deliverance of the Lord, so to speak, so that's what the Apostle Paul is experiencing in this situation, or that, that's what they're going through, and that's what is happening with them. So, but once, once all of this happens, I mean, it doesn't tell us that they ate anywhere that I can see, but I would, I would conclude that after that, after they saw that Paul wasn't there, you know, they may have taken themselves on another vow later on, but that's, that's, that's all it was. So, any other comments, questions? I guess I will say that when I was reading this, I was thinking that there's there's a lot of men because a lot of them were wrong. Yeah. Some of them were sinning, they're doing things wrong, mm -hmm. but they were actually believing that God has accepted that. Right. You know, and, and today's day at church, 
And it was. They, we still go in King's Run, and we think that God is pleased with this thing. And we need to think, you know, if we do anything wrong, we need to realize that God is not pleased when we do things that are wrong. Right. It doesn't matter what it is, that is not. And then at the same time, the other thing that I notice is that how many times, I always say us because I include myself, but how many times us, the church, has harmed the leaders, the pastors, the bishops, because we want to try to get away with something, um, and the leaders always pay. Just because they wanted to get something, Paul was the one that was going to pay, you know? Mm -hmm. and just to, is, the word is capricio, I don't know what that means in English, but uh, just to get my own ways, my capricious, my things, we're willing to push the men of God and go through whatever it takes, just so we can get away. Um, I'm realizing that that's your covering. Right, right. <laughs> so we need to learn that, you know, God has put these men there for a reason, and we need to, he put it to guide us and for us to learn from him, and maybe tomorrow, we are the ones that are going to be in his shoes because, you know, this is going to, until Jesus Christ comes, the church is going to continue flowing and more people coming <coughs> and getting positions. So right. we just have to learn from him because tomorrow, if, if we don't submit to him, nobody's going to submit to your leadership. That's how it works. Right. I think people don't know the plan of God, or they don't trust in God for that plan, and they don't see whatever God's will for their life is. Isaac. Isaac. Isaac taking mm -hmm. Isaac. 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 No, it's Abraham taking Isaac. Abraham taking okay. Isaac. There you go. It's all right. But his faith that God, he didn't know why he was going to uh, kill his only son, that God had promised him all that time. But in the in in word of encouragement, it says that as he's walking with his son to, to kill him, there is a ram walking on the other side of the mountain. Mm -hmm. That provision that God has was with that person all the time because God is faithful. He's going to do, fulfill his promise. And But a lot of people, we're so caught up with ourselves and what we want, and we don't see that vision for the church or, or where God is leading us or leading the church. So, you know, that, that um, provision that God has, you know, we're blinded. Right. We never meet it. If 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 he would if he would have decided halfway, well, I'm gonna do it my way. You know, then what happens? He's ne you never you know you ne you ne you never get to that miracle. You know, you never get to that place. And it goes back to um, it, go it goes back to what Sister Gladys was saying in the beginning right. about being in the will of God. You know, and I think that again, that is one of the most important things that I find in the Apostle Paul's life, and, and we get to see it throughout all of these situations and all of these times when he gets to, you know, defend himself and he gets to communicate. And, you know, another thing that we got to remember is if you look at these, and, and this is the beauty of the book of Acts, is that most of the time when you're looking through the book of Acts, you get to see the teachings of Jesus, you know, when Jesus said something, he told, he told his disciples, he said, listen, there's going to be a time where they're going to bring you before kings, they're going to bring you before all of these people, and he tells them, don't worry about what you're going to say, because at the moment, then you're going to, words are going to be filled, you know, put in your mouth, and you're going 
going to speak what God gives you, right? That wasn't, and I just want to say this, I'll throw this in there. That wasn't for preachers to just say, well, I'm just going to get up behind the pulpit and I'll just open my mouth and it's going to be filled because there are tons of preachers that believe that way, okay? And they say, well, God is going to fill my mouth. And you know what? That is where you get a bunch of heresy and you get a bunch of craziness and a bunch of yelling and not saying anything because God is going to fill your mouth when you're on your face in prayer and, you know, rightly dividing the word of God to then get up there. And yeah, God is going to fill your mouth when you get up on that pulpit for sure. But he's not just going to walk up there just because, you know, you just, you're, you're called to be a preacher and, you know, you're not going to get prepared, you know? Um, and when I say prepared, it doesn't mean, I mean, there, there's, there's weeks that things happen. And like Pastor Lewis, he was talking about it. When he got up there and preached that Sunday, he was saying, you know, I didn't have all the time to prepare like I would normally prepare. But here's the thing, you know, it, Pastor Lewis is, you know, not unprepared, you know. And, and this, and I, and I think I said this in one of the Bible studies. But, you know, we, we always talk about, yeah, it was, it was a lot, one of the last Bible studies that we did in here. You know, we always talk about being prepared. It was when we were, when we were talking about the casting out of demons and, you know, you've right. got to be ready but here's the thing for christians christians shouldn't be you know having to pause to go and get prepared for a week and then come and face whatever they're facing no you should be in prayer daily you should be in the word of god daily you should be fasting you know at some point within your year okay I, i'm going to say within the year okay you should have you know times that you just you know that devote yourself you know to prayer and fasting you know you should have times that you're separating yourself for those things so that way when situations arise you're prepared for them you know um there have been plenty of times that i just like in pastor lewis's situation where i haven't had all of the time because emergencies come up and situations happen or i was a bad steward of my time i mean whatever you know combination of things and you know god is faithful to fill my mouth but trust me you know i'm up you know preparing you know praying and seeking him on a norm it's not like you know i just don't pray all week and then just get up there and say okay god now fill my that's crazy and so the point that i want to make is christians got to be prepared they've got to be ready and you know this is you know what happens the apostle paul and the other apostles whenever they came before kings trust me they jesus wasn't saying just sit on your butt and don't do anything and when they bring you before king no because the thing that was going to get them brought before kings was because they were doing things for the kingdom of god they were being vessels through which the kingdom was manifesting and so what happened it was drawing attention because what? Because they were prepared. They were seeking the face of the Lord. And when they're brought before these kings, they're brought before these, these scenarios. It's just like this. How would, how would the apostle Paul know? He didn't, he wasn't praying and, you know, in his prayer time. And the Lord said to him, okay, when you see that there's Pharisees and Sadducees, this is what you're going to, that isn't what happened. The scripture clearly says, and he perceived that half of them were Sadducees, half of them were Pharisees. So this is what I'm going to say. It was at that moment. It's just like Jesus when it says, and Jesus perceived their hearts and he knew what their thoughts were. And then what does he do? He speaks something and it changes the whole atmosphere, challenges them, you know, brings, you know, something different. And it's the same exact thing that we see within the Apostle Paul's life and him, you know, communicating before these people. And so what I want to do is let's go, let's go ahead and go through here. There's a few things that I want to point out. Um, and if you have any questions or comments, there, there'll be a little bit of time at the end, I'm sure, that you can answer. We're going to start in verse 30. Um, it says here of chapter 22, it says, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the first thing we notice is that this, this, this commander of the, of, of the guard, he is 
bringing them together to go ahead and find out what's going on with Paul because there's something that's wrong here that he's got to rectify quickly. The first thing is, remember we talked last week about Paul being a Roman citizen, okay? It was illegal to have somebody locked up for no reason, okay? And at this point, he had no reason to have Paul locked up. There was no reason why Paul was there. And so he had to find out what was the reason that the apostle was locked up. He had to get down to the bottom line of what it was. And thus far, there was no reasoning as to why he was bound and he had to give a reason for him being for him being locked up if not he had to release him what he thought was that he was some notorious person who had done something crazy and so he figured you know what if I bring him before the Sanhedrin they're going to go ahead and they're going to bring the questions and answers accusing him and they're going to bring it out to the light and so obviously he needs to get these answers because he's the leader his his job everything is in jeopardy he doesn't want to go through any problems he calls for this emergency meeting and the people are going to come together and mind you it shows us as well that the leaders weren't ready for this either they weren't prepared for this conversation they weren't ready to have this they thought that they were just going to do their normal uproar stone him he's dead and you know whatever accuse him of, 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 of everything else but that isn't the plan of God in this situation verse 1 says then Paul looking earnestly at the council and most most people think that he was looking around to see if he saw anybody that he knew or anybody that knew him that would be able to vouch for what he was about to communicate and he says to them again with respect he comes at them respectfully showing that he is part of them he says men and brethren so he's not just speaking to a council but he's speaking to people that he is part of and he says to them I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day very important words here because what he's saying is first of all I have lived and that word lived is where we get the word political from and so what he's saying is, I have lived politically correct. I have lived as a citizen of God. That's, that's what he's communicating to them. It's, a, it, you know, in, in our, you know, in our translation, I've lived, big deal. But what he's saying is, he's saying, I have lived the, according to our laws. I've been politically correct. Everything that the Jewish um, beliefs are, everything that has been there, I've lived this way up until now before God in, in all good conscience. And he talks about his conscience. Paul loves this word. Word. This word he uses like 21 times throughout the New Testament talking about different things dealing with the conscience. He talks about our conscience being seared as with a hot iron and he communicates about this conscience. So he says that he has lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And it's important that we understand this word conscience, which is something that we looked at because conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Very important for us to understand this. Conscience is not the Holy Spirit. What the conscience is, the conscience is not the standard of belief. It is what applies belief. Here's the example. All of us, everybody has some sort of con some, some sort of conscience inside of them. And it's based on, the way your conscience operates is it's based on what you know. It's based on the, the illumination and the revelation that you have. So that's why the Apostle Paul here, he could say, I've lived in all good conscience towards God. Because when I was persecuting the church... My conscience was fine because I had this much light, okay? And so with this much light, I was doing everything that I could with that much light. Now, when the light came on with Jesus, now my conscience shows me that I need to walk with him and stop doing this and begin to preach the gospel. But the reason why this is important for us to understand, for us here to understand, is for us to help us grow. But also, because you're going to talk to folks who are going to tell you things like, well, I don't feel bad about that. In other words, their conscience is not bothering them. 
and therefore they feel like they are okay. But here's the problem. The problem is your conscience is only going to act up to what you have the knowledge of, to what you have revelation of. So you grew up in a house and you know you have certain things that are built inside of you. There are things that you grow, experiences that you have, and you know that these things you know are, are the, the, a certain way. You know I can't do this. You know this is wrong. You know hitting women is wrong. You know cursing at your mom is wrong. All of those are things that have to do with your conscience and not necessarily the Holy Spirit. These are important things for us because a lot of times people think, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. No, that is your conscience that is talking to you. Why do I say that? Because here's what happens. If you were to take a criminal, okay, a criminal would feel, listen to this now, they would feel that it is wrong for them to snitch on anybody else who ever did anything wrong. Would they not? Isn't that the loyalty that's among criminals? You know, you want to know what that is? That is their conscience that is acting up and saying it's wrong for you to snitch. It's, it's, some of us in here, we feel like, oh, you know, you snitch. You know, it's, still, it's still bad. Look, I'm not telling no one you're supposed to be a tattletale. But here's the thing. If someone comes if, if someone comes to Lewis, right? Lewis is, you know, in a situation and he saw something happen. Now, I'm not saying that Lewis got to run over there and say, hey, I saw it. I saw it. No. But if someone comes to Lewis and says, hey, Lewis, did you see what happened here? Lewis has a responsibility before God to tell the truth. Is that not right? That's what we learned. He has a responsibility to communicate this is what happened. And this is who did whatever. Now, again, I'm not saying that he's got to go over there and, you know, pull, you know, blow, blow the whistle on, on his own. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but listen, listen, right. You see, you see they, they, all of these things. But, but look, the, the point is that that is their conscience that is operating because there is something inside of them that teaches them, you know, you've got to be loyal. You know, it's, it's a loyalty thing. But the fact of the matter is, man, that if someone killed somebody, you know, somebody did something that was, you know, not correct. Then, and, and you know, when we start getting this, we start getting this with little kids and we're playing around. And as we're playing, somebody breaks something and then we go tell and then we come back we're the outcast no you went and you told on us you know you're a tattletale and then and then as we grow that little thing right there you know and then even us as parents you know because we all I mean I don't know about you but I've seen tons of kids okay and we do such an injustice to these kids we have the one kid that is running to tell us mommy they did this mommy they did that and what do we tell them don't be such a tattletale so what are we doing we're instilling in them and we're teaching them don't we're, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're molding their kind so, you know, what we need to do is we need to t teach them the right way, you know, how to communicate and, and learn to measure, you know, because obviously what happens to us is we just get frustrated because we got this kid coming and tell us every little thing and half of this stuff is just nonsense, you know, so we don't want that. But we need to teach them the difference. You know, it is right, you know, to communicate, you know, because most of us, I think, tell our kids when someone does something wrong, did you tell the teacher? Because that's the right thing to do. But some of us, we don't realize that we're sending mixed messages to our kids. Because on one sentence, are you telling a teacher? And the other sentence, don't be such a tattletale. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixed message. But the point is, that's how our conscience is developed, okay? So what the Apostle Paul is communicating is he's saying, listen, I have lived with all good conscience. And remember, again, this is the, this is the key to conscience. What's your conscience? Your conscience is, the, is not the standard. It doesn't set the standard. You have to raise the standard of what is going to be convicting and what is going to be you know to you you know that that is going to be wrong and the way you do that is by doing what the scripture says it says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that way you will be able to know what is that good acceptable and perfect you know will of God so what is he saying where are you going to know it in your conscience you're going to know it inside of you that this is good 
This is acceptable. This is perfect. This is ple- this is not acceptable. That's and how you're going to do that is by the word of God training you and teaching you, you know, that higher standard that he has. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he works in conjunction with your conscience to convict you of your sin. But we can't get caught up only listening to our conscience, only listening to our feelings. We've got to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit and be directed by him in these other areas as well. So the Apostle Paul communicates here and he says to them, he says, listen, I've been living in all good conscience before God until this day. That is the reason why they were so offended. That is the reason why the high priest was so offended because he was saying, how on earth can you say you live in good conscience when you're over here preaching against everything that is supposed to be good? You're preaching against because that's how they took it. Like he was causing all this division. How can you say that? You know, you're, you're saying you lived in all good conscience. You're saying you're innocent. And so that that is why the offense came. And that's why they were so bothered because if they accepted that, then what they were saying is, okay, well, prove yourself. So instead of letting him prove himself, I'm just going to slap him make him shut up and that's going to be the end of it so we know that he continues on and it says and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth then Paul said to them God will strike you and he prophesied because this happened later on a few years later this guy was was actually killed Um, you whitewashed wall for you sit to judge me according to the law and do command me to be struck contrary to the law. So Paul is like, look, man, you know, you're you're this, you know, you're you're telling them to strike me. That's that's not lawful. That's not something that is supposed to happen that way. I'm supposed to have my day in court and I'm innocent until proven guilty. You're not giving me the opportunity for that. Verse four says, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know. Brethren, that we have that, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler or your God. And this and, and this is a quote, once again, from the Old Testament, <clears throat> the book of Exodus. And it also says there that you're not supposed to curse God or to speak evil against any ruler. And that was the word that would, that's used in the Old Testament. You're not supposed to curse God. You shall not curse God nor speak evil of a ruler of your people. And it all goes back to our, or it ties in with our John Bevere teaching of undercover. Very important to honor God and honor his authority and realize you can't separate the two. Verse 6 says, But when Paul perceived that one part, one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. So what does he do? Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. In other words, he is now connecting himself to one group that is there. He is finding, a, you know, he, he's, he's alienating, alienating himself from the Sadducees and he's connecting himself with the Pharisees. He's saying, look, I'm on your side, the son of a Pharisee. He's saying, look, I'm not just a Pharisee because I am, but my daddy was a Pharisee too, Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. So he's pleading with them. He's saying, hey, he said, these, you letting these people that don't believe what we believe judge me. And so he communicates them. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And so now we're, we're beginning to see God's sovereign hand moving into this picture. And now these people that were ready to kill this guy, they're going to go ahead and they're going to begin to debate among themselves. And it tells us why And Jesus, and, and this also communicated in the gospel, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And we know that the Sadducees, they believe strongly in the 
law. They believed in the Pentateuch. They believed in the first five books of the Bible, not so much the prophets, not so much all of this other stuff. They didn't believe in all of that. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in, you know, this resurrection. They didn't believe in any of these things there. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed in the, the five books of the law. They knew it, but they also believed in the prophets. They believed in all of these prophetic things. They believed in angels. They believed in visions. They believed in the resurrection, and that was their hope. That is what they were looking for. They were looking for this resurrection that was prophesied in the book of Daniel, but the Sadducees, they weren't. They weren't looking forward to none of that. They didn't believe in any of that, and so he communicates that to them, and then verse 9 tells us, then there arose a loud cry, and the scribes of, uh, and the scribes of the Pharisees party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God, and so this is important, because this is the reason why there were a lot of these Pharisees that got saved, this is, this is part of the reason why there was a whole lot, when you look at the book of Galatian and and the and, and the whole theme of that book is walking in the spirit you know it's living by the spirit not trying to live according to the law and why was that it was because these people that were Pharisees they were still you know just bent on on circumcision and fulfilling all of these laws that they had to do for salvation and the apostle Paul is communicating that it's not that way why does this happen it's because these people they believed in vision so when they heard that the Lord spoke these things they heard about the resurrection. Well, once they sat down and they reasoned and they listened, then they got saved. Well, these people didn't get saved right here, but that's why we see this because the Pharisees, that group, they believed in these things. So they say, we don't find anything wrong with him. And in verse 10 tells us, now when there rose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. And so obviously we see that this argument became so intense. You can just picture it. The apostle Paul is probably in the center of this thing and they're, you know, pulling on him and, you know, all of this stuff is going on. So it's, it's getting pretty ugly. And what happens again? God comes in and look at who he uses. You got to look at who God uses in all of this. You know, this is why it's so important to submit to the laws of the land because God will use the laws of the land to save you. God will use the laws of the land to deliver you. And he used these people who were in authority to deliver Paul once again from death. Verse 11 goes on. It says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Rome. Wonderful and awesome scripture. And again, we see here, as Angel says, the Apostle Paul walks by faith, okay? He doesn't waver in his movement. Just because he doesn't waver in his movement doesn't mean that there's not some doubt in his heart. Doesn't mean that there's not some things. And what, what, what do you mean, Bishop? What, what kind of doubt would there be? Okay, let's look at it this way. Why would God tell him to be of good courage? Why would he tell him that? Because the Apostle Paul came back to Jerusalem for one, you know, for, for, for a reason. And it was because he wanted to bring salvation to these Jewish people. He wanted to bring reconciliation to these relationships. He wanted to fix some stuff. 
And look what he does. When he tries to preach to them, confusion breaks out. He tries to bring this restoration. He wasn't able to do it. He's getting locked up. And all that is so the guy is like, man, you know, I mean, this is discouraging. I'm doing everything that I know. It's not, it's not a doubt. It's not, it's not a doubt of was I called to do this. It's not a doubt of was this what God wanted me to do. Paul never doubted that. He's just saying, man, you know, what's wrong? You know, what am I not doing? You know, what's not happening? And God is simply communicating to his son. He says, first of all, he's bringing him a word of comfort. And he's saying, man, be of good courage. In other words, you've done a good job. I know it don't look like it. I, I know that right now it looks like you, you done messed up and you are doing a horrible job. It looks like everything, I mean, everything is just absolutely backwards and opposite of what you thought it was going to be. He says, my son, be of good courage. So he gives him that, that comfort. But then he, he, he's also giving him a commendation. You know, he's saying, look, he's saying, Remember, because see, you know, also what's going to play in your mind is remember when I was over there in Ephesus and the prophetic word came and the people were begging me not to go and they were telling me, don't go, don't go. You know, those words start coming up, man. What if I would have listened to them? What if I wouldn't have went? I wouldn't have made this mess if I would have listened to these people. And so, you know what God is doing? He's giving them the commendation. He's saying, son, this is what I told you to do. You know, you're, you're all right. You did good. And so also it's good for us because remember how we were talking about these people telling him, you know, by the spirit not to go. And there, and there could be that confusion. Well, God is not confused and God is not, God's not saying he got, listen, God is pretty clear. Okay. When he communicates to us, he doesn't lead us falsely. He doesn't tell us what we want to hear. He tells us what he wants us to hear. He tells us what we need to hear. And so what does he do here? He doesn't say he would have told Paul, he would have said, you know what? You blew it by coming here. He said, you know, but I'm going to hook you up, brother. I'm, I'm going to bring you to where I want you. You didn't have to. God would have told him that. He wouldn't have encouraged him falsely. Why would God do that? God has never read throughout the prophets. God gets mad. Okay? The book of Jeremiah, I ta I, I ta uh, Ezekiel, I talked about it on Sunday. They do what? The false prophets are communicating peace, peace, and blessing. And there's no peace. There's no blessing. And he says, you know what? And these people are building with this whitewashed, you know, this, this, this untempered mortar. And they're building these walls. And God said, I'm going to tear that junk down. And I'm going to show you that the foundation was horrible. You read throughout the prophets and you see God hates that false encouragement. He doesn't want that. So why would God do it here? He wouldn't. But he He's doing this and he's saying to Paul, look, be of good courage. He said, you've testified for me in Jerusalem. In other words, you have done exactly what I asked you to do in Jerusalem. And he's, and, and he's, and he's encouraging him, you know, and all of this. I'm sure Paul is remembering, you know, he's remembering the story or he's, he's remembering that prophetic word that Agabus came. And when Agabus came and you remember that he took the belt and he said, you know what? He said, the owner of this belt, he said, is going to go bound to Jerusalem. And you know what? The Jews are going to bind him and hand him over to the Gentiles. And so literally the Jews didn't bind him because they weren't the ones who put the the shackles on him. It was the Roman people that did. But why was it that it happened? It was because of the behavior of the Jews. It was because, so it was them that bound him. It was them that bound him in that sense that he has to be doing what? Go to Rome in the next place. And so he's giving him that comfort. He's giving him that commendation. He's saying, you know what? And I want to give you the confidence that everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to happen according to my plan. And I'm going to bring you to the place where it's been in your heart for months. You've been wanting to go to Rome and I'm going to bring you there because 
because I need you to be a witness. I need you to be a, the one that testify. That word there for witness is the same word that is utilized in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus speaks to the disciples and tells them to wait into Jerusalem till they are in due with power because they are going to be his witnesses. It's the same exact word. He's saying you are going to be my witness that is in due with power that's going to go to Rome and you're going to see the fulfillment of my plan there. That was a, that was a promise and an assurance. Yes, sir. It was. When, when he says, so you also bear witness at Rome. That's a promise and an assurance of you must bear witness. You must. It's you, this. This is this is my will. You know. You're going to get there, and you know. Don't worry about these people killing you or nothing like that, because none of that's going to happen. You're going to make it to Rome, where I've called you to be. Verse 12 goes on, and he says, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So notice this: God speaks a prophetic word, and what is the next thing that happens? The enemy rises up to try to deter that word. Now, mind you, they didn't hear the word of God that came. But who do you think heard the word? Oh, believe me, the devil heard that word that was given to Paul. The enemy heard that word that was given to Paul. And so, you know, that antichrist spirit, that is what began to manipulate this situation and these people's lives and began to show them, oh, you know what? We, 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 we need to do this. We need to kill this guy because look what he did. He, you know, he made a fool of us yesterday. He made a mockery of us by going ahead and getting this argument. And so they go on ahead. And they make this vow. They rise up to make a vow. And it's awesome to see that, you know what, the enemy can make you make all kind of vows and do whatever. But God's plan is going to prevail. And these, these, this is why this is so important to read and to meditate on. Because, look, the enemy rose up. There was four, it wasn't one person. It says there was 40 of them, okay? That's, that's a large group of people, all right? That's like, that, that's like 80% of our church, okay? So, I mean, that, that, that's a large group of people here, you know. And, and I mean... All right, it's not 80%, it's 40%, all right, like 40%, okay, so it's all right, it's like, it's like 40% or 35%, I'm sorry, all right, but anyway, anyway, okay, uh, I, 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 okay, whatever, so anyway, all right, you're right, so anyway, it's like 40% of our church, I mean, that, that's, that's a large group of, of grown men, okay, that are going and saying, yo, we ain't eating until this dude is dead. So they're determined. So they, they're determined. And guess what they do? They start plotting. So it goes on and it says, now there were more than 40 of them who had formed this com conspiracy. This is a real live conspiracy. Glory to God. It says they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will not eat anything until we've killed Paul. It's amazing. Because these people are supposed to be holy. They're supposed to be righteous. They're supposed to be filled with the wisdom of God. And these guys come to them and they tell them, this is what we're going to do. We're going to kill the guy. And, and, and they're not like stopping them. They're not like, hold on a second. That's not the Lord. No, where was Gamaliel here? There was no, Gamal there was no man of wisdom that said, yo, we're going to bring the wrath of God upon him. None of that stuff happens here. And so verse 15 says, now, you, now they're telling them what to do. Look what they're doing. They're telling them. This is what you're going to do. We want you to do this. And they're listening instead of saying, no, that's not the ways of the Lord. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. And so the reason why they would be able to bring this to pass is because it would be normal for them to call another meeting the next day because the inquiries weren't, weren't finished and they want to hear more. You know, it's just like, okay, this is going to be day two of our trial session and we're going to go and we're going to ask more questions. So it would have seemed normal. It would have seemed plausible. It wouldn't have seemed like anything crazy. But it goes on to say, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now this is amazing again. 
because there is no record that this son was a Christian. There is no record that he was a believer. Most of the commentaries that all of the commentaries that I read believe the same thing, that he was a Pharisee. That he was that they were just part of he was a Pharisee. And the only reason why he came over there was because he had enough sense to realize, yo, that's evil, man. These people are plotting something that is just wrong. It is something that is contrary to the law. Because I thought, when I first read this, I thought, oh man, he's a Christian and he heard this. But the reason why they believed that he wasn't a Christian is because there was nobody outside of that circle that was going to hear of the plan of the Pharisee. Trust me. When they talked about this stuff, this was something that stood in the house. It was one of those things like, what happens in the house stays in the house. That's how these people were. So that's, that, that's why, because you know, you're thinking, well, why would they conclude that? Because he wouldn't have got that information. This wasn't something that they were going to talk about. Those 40 guys, the only people that they were talking to was the elders. And so they think that this person was possibly either, it, it was one of these two, it, we, they don't think it was a Christian, but what they think is that either he overheard it because he was part of, you know, the some, somehow involved in that, or it was because his, his, his mom was married to one of these Pharisees, and now, that's the, you know how it is, you know, daddy comes home and he talks, don't tell nobody this, you know, but this is the plan, you know, so somehow this kid heard it, and so he comes, and again, we see God's sovereign hand, he uses one of, you know, the, these Pharisees, you know, one of these, one of these situations to bring bring Paul the, the, the revelation that's necessary. Verse 17 it says, they, then, then Paul called one of the centurions, I'm sorry, verse 16 it says, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and told and to him and said, this young man Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you, has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the, by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is, the, what, what, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you, <clears throat> to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And so... The apostle is in this situation, and we see God bringing this whole story to the commander. Now, we're going to continue on here, and we'll, we'll go through this kind of quick, but I just want you to see something that is amazing. Um, and he called for two, for, for two centurions, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. So that's 470 men. Prepare 470 men to go with you, because you're going to take him at night, and go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, third hour, remember, we figured out how we got there, so it's nine o'clock at night, so he's taking him in the evening, and so, number one, he gets this story from this kid, he doesn't know when these 40 guys are going to try to come out, also, the area that they're traveling is, is a long distance, and so at night is when these raiders come out, and if they don't have enough people to, you know, to protect them, then, you know, obviously, they could, get, they could all get killed, so they want to make sure that Paul is not lost, because remember, if you lose a prisoner, you can get killed, because you're a Roman, you're not supposed to lose that, you're, you know, that, that's what your job is. And he says, so he provides, look what he says here, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter, and I'm not going to read the letter or anything like that. And we know that the rest of this is when he goes and he gets to Felix. And we're going to talk about Felix next week. But what I want to point out to you is Paul is a prisoner and he is being taken to Rome like a king. 
Okay, he's 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 surrounded by four hundred and seventy soldiers. All right, he's got he's got two hundred spearmen. Okay, he's got these horsemen. He's got two hundred other soldiers with him, and he's riding on a doggone horse. That's what it means to put a, we put on a mount, not on a horse. He's riding on an animal. I don't know. I don't know if it's a horse, but the word means beast. So he was riding on a beast like Jesus when Jesus was coming in, you know, on the on the, on the donkey. This is how he got there. So look at God's providence. Look at him and he is able to bring this guy you look he got first class to Rome. I mean this this is what it is he got first class treatment to get to Rome because what simply because he was in the will of God and it's so important for us to ensure that we are in the will of God I was reading in one of the commentaries and I hope that I can make this quote correctly but he said and, and he, he was he was quoting Saint Augustine and he said that you are to trust your past you, you, you are to trust your past to God's mercy you are to trust your presence your present to God's love and you are to trust your future to God's providence and when you look at what happened here Look, all of us are in that situation. We know that our past is covered under the blood. We know that our present, we're walking in love with God and we're good to go. And our future, he's going to provide everything that he says as long as we do what? We walk in his will. It is so vital that we learn to walk in the will of God. If we will walk in the will of God... Sometimes it seems like a wilderness. Sometimes it seems like a confusing situation. Sometimes it seems like discouragement and frustration and how can this be? But the bottom line is if we're walking his will, no matter what, he's going to get us to where he wants us to go. So the important thing is, is that we are able to know that we're walking in his will. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go on ahead and pray as we get our tithes and our offering ready. We'll get our tithes and offering ready and...